The Drive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that seeks simplicity amongst the complexities of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories including mobile speed camera warnings may be scrapped. And Brian Smith and I have an extended conversation about things like Amazon's Alexa gets a whisper mode. Now, what can we learn from this about conveying information in cars? A Bugatti Veyron owner hits 250 miles per hour on the Autobahn. He's an idiot. And the Ford Bronco to reportedly get a seven-speed manual transmission. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or you can podcast previous programs on iTunes. So, let's get going. Here's the news. In a move that would help potentially raise millions of dollars in revenue, the New South Wales Auditor General believes that mobile speed camera warning signs should be ditched so more drivers on our state's roads end up being fined. A report by the New South Wales Auditor-General Margaret Crawford revealed that in Victoria, covert and unconcealed mobile speed cameras caught more motorists. However, the Roads Minister's office has rejected any suggestion that the government will set up more cameras or stop using the speed camera 250 metre ahead warning signs. Ms Crawford's report revealed that fewer than 0.1% of drivers who passed a camera was fined and there is limited evidence speed cameras will lead to any behavioural change in drivers. However, there was evidence of a drop in fatal and serious crashes at the 30 best-performing mobile speed camera locations. Following months of record low sales, Holden has taken the extraordinary move of halting production on a number of models, including the European-sourced Commodore liftback and wagon, as well as the Mexican-built Equinox SUV. A string of worst-ever monthly sales results, the company sold just 3,900 cars in July, its lowest number since its inception in 1948, has seen recently appointed Holden Boss negotiate a temporary halt in production. Sales of the Commodore have slumped in the Australian market since its change from a locally produced rear-wheel drive model to an imported model, and Holden has requested the Opel factory in Germany not build any more until 2019. But it is the Equinox SUV that has struggled the most, with just 3,600 vehicles selling in the first nine months of this year, a number that top sellers in its segment sell in just six weeks. As autonomous functions and advanced driver assistance systems increase their presence in vehicles, the motoring safety organisation Euro NCAP has put the driving technology to the test for the very first time. To highlight how safe the systems are, Euro NCAP performed a set of three driving scenario tests on 10 vehicles that were using highway assist systems. Functions such as adaptive cruise control, lane centering and speed assist systems to support the driver in driving situations on motorways. The three tests focus on adaptive cruise control, steering and cutting in and out with all models assessed on how they assisted drivers and whether they created a system of over-reliance with the report claiming that 70% of car drivers believe it is already possible to purchase a car that can drive itself, the findings will help clarify how limited the systems actually are, and must be considered as assistance, 
not systems that will allow the driver to fully rely on the vehicle. In the future, self-driving cars will need to communicate with pedestrians and drivers of traditional automobiles. Volkswagen wants to embrace this concept and has previewed a few ways self-driving cars could communicate with other motorists and pedestrians. The announcement showed off a host of elements engineers have been working on to turn lighting into a form of communication. VW imagines that a car will house new areas to project graphics on the road or in lighting elements themselves. A prototype vehicle showed how a screen in the front grille and at the rear can display warnings to other drivers such as a traffic jam ahead or acknowledging pedestrians and giving them the all clear to cross. Yet there is no standard set in place for how self-driving cars will communicate. VW said manufacturers, suppliers, universities and authorities are working on a common and simple language that pedestrians and others will understand worldwide. The company isn't the first to explore such futuristic lights. Mercedes-Benz showed off its high-definition headlights in 2016, which also project shapes and words onto the road for drivers. Google recently announced that it will add electric car charging stations to Google Maps. The app will now show Tesla, ChargePoint, EVgo, Blink and SEMA Connect charging stations in the US, Britain, Australia and New Zealand. Google's announcement is especially helpful for drivers whose cars include Android Auto and Apple CarPlay which can't display the Google Maps app. The Google's Map app will show what types of connectors are available, power levels and pricing as well as ratings and user reviews. The most obvious thing that is missing is whether a charging space is occupied or whether the charger is in use or out of order. In the US, Ford has buried a teaser for what appears to be the Mustang Hybrid inside a promotional video that the automaker recently released. During the video, the Mustang comes into full view with the grille opening filled with a plastic piece like you see on many electric cars. There's a shot of the engine bay which very clearly is a V8 engine. The entire engine bay is lit up in neon blue, Ford's signature colour in its promotions for electrification. There's also reason to believe the new Mustang Hybrid will sport the Mac one name. This could be a preview of the 7th generation Mustang which is due in 2021. More likely though, it's the hybrid that was previously announced and will reportedly be based on the current 6th generation car and arrive in 2020. And that has been the news. And so we have got quirky news as uh, one listener rang in and said it was his favourite part of the week where he could sit down and have a good chuckle. And to help us do that, we have on the line Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. Hello, David. I'm very glad you got my email. <laughs> well, does that mean you laugh at your own jokes? Is that the... Re retweet myself. Amazon's Alexa is uh, they're at a particular showcase event and they have this voice assistant. Now, the company demonstrated how whispering a request like play a lullaby could trigger the voice assistant's assistant to respond in kind, come back in a soft voice. Now, I know this not to do with cars initially, but the whole issue about getting information, good information may not be helpful if it comes to you in a way where you ignore it. And so if you get information that reflects perhaps your mood or your needs, and so it's adapted to that, 
it might be more helpful. You understand, Brian, that if you're going to get a fair amount of information from cars, like wandering in the lane, do you ever get sick of that beeping noise? That's a good point, David. Uh, yes, but different beeping warnings, different navigation voices. After a while, you start to block them out, I think. Or not block them out, or they just become part of the background noise. It, 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 you need something to snap you out of that reverie, in a sense. I spoke to a truck designer who was concerned that truckies, if they keep getting beeping and sounds and so on, that they will turn the system off. The other system has been things like if the car detects there's a push bike in the back left-hand corner in your blind spot, it may give you the sound of a push bike bell from that particular speaker in a car. That's interesting, David. I, I, I read through the article and the most interesting thing for me was this contextual level where um, you may ask Alexa a question, what's the weather going to be like today? And then once it tells you, you may just say, what about tomorrow? And it, it understands what's just happened. You know, it, it understands oh. that it's you're still talking about the weather based on the context. Uh, and so I guess you, you could certainly have um, different sounds depending on the context, if you're driving quickly or slowly, if you're in a country area. We've talked briefly previously about the sort of yawning gulf as to why we don't have uh, different tones for the horn. Why can't we be smarter with the way the car horn works so that there's uh, an urgency or, a, or a, just a reminder bip, which could be contextual. So depending on the sitting at the traffic lights and the light has gone green and you haven't moved for a while, you know, the horn may not give a massive blast when you press it rather than the reminder toot. Uh, so I like this idea that, that the voice or the information that you get from the car may be different based on context. And I love that idea that, that a, a bicycle bell might be the warning that um, that there's a motorcycle, uh, a bicycle next year. And, of course, uh, the sound of your mirror being smashed off might be a <laughs> suggestion that there's a motorcyclist beside you in the blind spot. Can it be really contextual that if a person doesn't move off when the light goes green and it's a taxi, that it does blast <laughs> very loudly? I like the idea that it might just be a, a sort of softly cleared throat sound. You know? yeah. <laughs> Pardon me, but yeah. the interesting thing is it's not just sort of politeness or softness or a bit more loud. It can be a message to cut through all the noise. It has been suggested in a plane, for example, that if there's a catastrophe going on, the plane's bucketing around, and then suddenly the right-hand engine catches fire... The pilot gets a message, not in the usual bamp, 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 warning, 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 because he's got perhaps many of those going on already, or lights flashing, but it might come over quite simply in his daughter's voice saying, Daddy or Mummy, your right engine is on fire. And that may cut through much more than anything that's super loud. What do you think? Oh, that's a fascinating idea, David. I mean, as long as the pilot doesn't respond with don't make, make me stop this plane and come back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know that, that if, if one of my children's voices is in my car telling me about something, I'm more likely to block it out because it's the, the continual, are we there yet? And Bob's pinched me and <laughs> so-and-so isn't sharing. I tend to, to sort of block those ones out, so maybe it wouldn't work for, for in a car. 
But if it was a nagging voice, and in no way am I reflecting on your dearly <laughs> beloved, who's such a, a wonderful person, but if it was a nagging voice, that you know that would shut you out as well, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, you get I get enough of that, so um, you know, getting getting more might turn me off driving. What would be the thing like uh, if you don't fix the engine on the right, you'll never get to the pub? Oh, I see. More contextual stuff. Well, the other thing is, then, it could speak softly. Now, that might be good if you were getting some instructions from the navigation system that you didn't want others to hear. I was thinking of the children in the back, but my partner in the passenger seat might also be a case that I don't, you know, turn back, you're going the wrong way. (laughs) Yes. Yes, because you've made a mistake, and you you are now lost. Ah yeah. I told you you should have stopped and asked. <laughs> or if you're going to a surprise location, you don't want the instruction to say turn left towards Disneyland or something. You... For the children, yeah. Maybe you could get them to cover it up so that they get disappointed, but then it's a huge, great surprise. You know. Oh, okay. Is that a bit like when you tell your children that the the ice cream van only plays that music when it's run out of ice cream? <laughs> Green sleeves. The sound of disappointment. Turn left to get to the dentist. Oh, I see, yes. And then you get there and it's Disneyland. Brian, now, there is a second story that uh, we were going to have Errol on, but unfortunately he can't make it. You know, I am always dubious of conspicuous consumption. People who buy a car with huge performance that they could never apply or could never even drive properly. The biggest example of that might well have been the Bugatti Veyron, which is rated at 250 miles per hour top speed. Well, an owner of that, Radim Passer, said that he wanted to try it out, and the only place he could find where, in, in theory, it was legal was a German autobahn. He found a holiday period where he could go and do it, and with after a bit of toing and froing, he actually drove one, apparently, at 400 kilometres an hour down the autobahn. Is this the sort of thing we wish to encourage, Brian? Boy, David, this raises a few questions for me. i tell you what, the first one being that this idea that a, a car buyer buys a, a car... With whose capabilities are far beyond their need. And in a sense, that's a car manufacturer offering something to somebody that they can never truly appreciate, right? So you say, well, this car does 250 miles per hour, but but you, as the punter, the person who's just bought it, you'll only ever get a chance to do that on a racetrack, right? So and, and encouraging someone who's possibly not a professional race driver to drive that fast is, I think, a real issue. And, in fact, on public roads. So the, the, this autobahn was not closed, right? Uh, Passim just found uh, – sorry, Radim just found a, a time of day and a, and, a pl- and a day that he could potentially drive this thing at that kind of speed. And the interesting thing about the story is that it wasn't just a matter of just going to do it. He had about three goes because the first time he tried, there's some automatic stuff in the car that prevents it from exceeding – performance limits where it might damage the vehicle so the first time it was too cold and that um i guess the blocking technology came in to prevent him going at top speed but he went back to bugatti several times to sort of confirm okay how do i unlock this speed and and at the second time he still couldn't do it and it turned out that the transmission needed to be replaced now the point that bugatti 
is replacing the transmission and helping this person to drive 250 miles per hour on a public road that's not closed. Now, if he caused a crash and killed himself or multiple other people, would Bugatti have been complicit in this in terms that they were helping him to, to drive at this speed on a public road? This is crazy stuff. The other, the final point I want to make is that he chose a public holiday. Now, if he'd done that in Australia, it would have been wall-to-wall cars with boogie boards on the roof and, and, and pulling caravans from 3 o'clock in the morning. I was going to ask, what's the wind effect on a caravan when you pass it <laughs> at 250 yeah. m- miles an hour? Radim Passa, or as I prefer to re- refer to him as Radim Tosser, is uh, not, in my mind, doing the right thing. You know, to, to determine that you couldn't do it because the ambient temperature was too low, clearly he should go back to Bugatti and say the salesperson didn't give him a full briefing when he bought the car. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> the other problem is then he's probably leaning down trying to work out how to turn the air conditioner off because <laughs> it, it's, it's that a little complicated. It's been suggested, of course, that what he should do is, if he's got that much money and can do that sort of thing, he should rent a place. Because the racetrack won't get him there, of course, because it's just not long enough to get up to that speed. Formula One cars typically get to a maximum speed of about 330 kilometres an hour on racetracks. Part of that is, of course, that they've got aerodynamics to make them go around corners quicker, which slows them in the, in the straight. But that's still a long way off 400, and the room you need to do that, a long run-up and a long slowdown, is uh, ridiculous. By the way, I think it will also hasten the implementation of speed limits on autobahns. Yeah, yeah, I agree a crazy thing, and I, I, I believe Bugatti should be lambasted for supporting this. Or yeah, basically, they helped to make it happen. Yeah, and it was only luck, I think, that it wasn't a disaster. It could have been horrible. I mean, at that speed, things happen so incredibly quickly. People say, oh, uh, you can drive safely at speed because the autobahns have a lower crash rate. Well, what they have is they have a lower crash rate in the sense that they're a safer road, and that's part of it. But when they've put speed limits on them, the crash rate has gone down even further. Of course, we know that speed is a big factor and not not only speed but speed differential differentials yes if i'm doing 150 and someone else is doing 80 then that is incredibly dangerous as as it is coming across something that's stuck on the road and not moving and i'm only doing 80k the difference of 80k is enormous and uh, creates immense difficulties i I remember david in a many years ago reading in a modern motor or similar magazine uh, about a, a person's um, aim to crack the ton on a public road just before the imposition of 100k mm. uh, speed limit and i think it's in a ford gtho and i remember reading in the article that on one of these attempts he'd uh, got very very close to it and then a farmer sort of a few miles up the road pulled out of his uh, his farm driveway in a ute at sort of 30 kilometers an hour uh, causing this GTHA driver to haul on the anchors and yeah. um, just about smash into him. So yes, yes, they I'll did a thing there. in Wheels Magazine where they were averaged 160 kilometres an hour, I think, from Sydney to Melbourne. And I always said, of course, that if they had have had an accident, would they have reported it? Mm, that's a good point. Yes, 
not really the story they were going for. That's a thousand kilometres. Actually, the and they said, well, we didn't have an accident, and perhaps that proves that doing one hundred and sixty or whatever it was, averaging, was you know was above the speed limit, was uh, not inevitable that you crash. But the reality is, a thousand kilometres, we we don't have that many crashes in a thousand kilometres. You know, and they say, well, of course, we don't have as many that many crashes on a racetrack. Yes, you do. If you had the same rate of crashes at the Bathurst 1000, you would not have any accidents in 5,000 years, and you would not have a fatal accident. I think it's about 180 years. So you, you understand yeah, my point. Uh, of course, the other aspect, David, is that I imagine that's one single driver driving 1,000 kilometres nonstop. Fatigue. I'm thinking about fatigue which was the downfall of the last Bathurst leader and favourite. Brian, are you a man that likes to be mechanically linked to your car? David, I think I understand where you're going with this uh, question. It's about uh, car transmissions, isn't it? Hmm. So here, let me ask you a question, David. What is the proportion of cars sold in the United States with a manual transmission? In the United States? The United States, 2018. It'd be lucky to be 5%. Is 2%, David. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about manual versus auto. Now, when I was growing up, I couldn't wait to get a manual car. and, and But as I got older, I realised that I wanted the comfort and safety and convenience of an automatic. Hmm. And um, the automatic vehicle, the automatic car, um, was first introduced in 1938 in the Oldsmobile L38. It had a, uh, the very first automatic transmission called the automatic safety transmission the idea being that it uh, allowed people to keep both hands on the wheel rather than shifting and of course that started a huge um, push towards automatic transmissions and now interestingly ford bronco in their um or ford in their upcoming bronco is looking to introduce a seven speed manual transmission now manual transmissions as we saw are not very popular or, or um, prevalent prevalent in the states but here the uh, based on um, on some numbers this is uh, a magazine called Jalopnik who's interpreting some um, project code names to identify it as being a potential seven speed manual transmission uh, an interesting idea David um, the other the other factor that comes in here is uh, electric vehicles and so uh, we know that electric uh, motors generate their torque at zero revs so they the reason that we have gears in cars is that automatic transmission um, sorry um, uh, internal combustion engines don't actually generate enough torque to really start the vehicle in high gears electric cars can so increasingly we don't really need uh, transmissions in the in the sense that we have them so is this yet another example david do you think this ford bronco idea of um of going down a dead end with uh, introducing a manual transmission? Well, of course, the American market, 2% of that is still not insignificant, but I'd have to say that a a number of of factors come into this. One is that, of course, that you're going beyond the extended H pattern. Mm. In the old H pattern, four gears, that in itself was pretty good. When you went to six, then you had to pick between first and fifth, to get into third so you had to have some sort of feel for it this one i'm not sure whether it becomes an extended extended h pattern where first gear is opposite reverse oh i see yes as it is in some trucks now the interesting thing is trucks they're 18 speed truck gears in america 
there was a, the old style of having a manual gearbox, and it still happens now. I was uh, talking to a car company about that the other day, a truck company, that some people just love that old thing. And, and to work the old American gearbox, it was a, they had a system which is outdated and horrible, but many people still wanted it because it proved their ability so maybe what we ought to bring back is a, a you know seven speed manual will not bring back but make a seven speed manual but have no synchromesh in it <laughs> and so it it would really bring back those who know about car skill Brian it'd give me a chance to show that I have great skill ah, the double d clutching yeah. in the crash box now um takes me back to learning to drive when as we were all in high school and kids were starting to learn to drive the kids there was a, a division between the kids who learned on a manual car versus the lazy children who <laughs> who learned on an automatic and then you know you would turn your nose up at these people because they couldn't drive a manual they once you drove a manual you could drive any car but uh, yes david there's definitely a skill element there and a, a kind of which would be fantastic to to demonstrate without synchromesh having to to match the revs with the with the transmission what an exciting idea i was testing a car the other day a mclaren and it was a yeah, glorious car it was the base model three hundred and forty thousand dollars worth of a super luxury super sports sort of car and i i took it home and the kid um, the young fella had two mates so i had to take them home but of course i had to do individual trips because it only <laughs> suited to one other, kid. One other yeah. person and one of them had a scooter with a handle for for t- turning and so that wouldn't fit in the very small compartment so he had to get in the passenger seat with this all over him but the, the interesting thing was you know i guess he knew what i did and and that but he hopped in it and i drove there because it had paddles and so the first question he asked me so oh, you drive a lot of cars do you can you drive a manual <laughs> really? Mm, it, it, How old is this child? Oh, about 16. Good heavens. He probably hadn't been in a car that had a manual gearbox. I, I remember a friend talking about uh, learning to drive and uh, assuming that the reverse gear was, was across the back of the, the passenger seat because <laughs> <laughs> Dad would put the car in reverse, sling the arm over the bench seat, then turn to do the reverse. So she was pretty sure that that's where the reverse gear was. (laughs) Brian, we're going to catch up next week. And I really want to start with a story about possible future cars and Bentley getting some students to do some thinking about what the future of a luxury car might be. But for the moment, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. Brian Smith uh, talking some quirky news here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast previous programs on iTunes. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Listener.